Hey there, folks. I'm feeling the heat. It's supposed to be nicer out than this. Why is it 81 degrees at the end of September? Welcome, folks. Episode 118. It's the Uticast, and today we are talking to Audrey Ella Anazita of Munson Williams Proctor Arts Institute. Uh, also, this week we're going to get into the term limits argument for Mayor Paul Mayer. We're going to talk about Donald Trump and his ongoing war with the NFL weird. We're going to talk about William Faulkner. We're going to talk about Walmart coming into your homes. That's a little weird. We're going to talk about Uber, and we're going to talk about many, many more of the hottest topics available to us. Folks, it's always a pleasure to have you here. Uticast. All right. two things. Heather, I need you to do something for me. Okay. Look at this coffee. Look at it. There's no floaties on top. That's right. It doesn't look like kombucha. That's because I got rid of the coconut milk. You did? Yes. Threw it away because it wasn't what I hoped it would be. I went back to the fake coffee creamer, the, the when it's all sugar. It was good you gave it a shot. I tried to give it a shot, um, but now I'm back. Back to the regular thing. Heather, how are you? Good. So happy to have you back in the show. It's nice to see you. Yeah, it's nice to see you guys, too. Kevin, you're also here again. Nice to see you again. <laughs> you, you're also you're still here. Yeah. Here again, I guess. There's that. What's going on? Uh, I'm sure you'll tell us. You know, it's funny. 118 episodes in, I've never really come up with a proper way to introduce everybody the right way. It's I still struggle. I never introduce myself. No one knows who I am. It's like Kevin and Heather and the other That guy. lets you do that whole local nobody thing that you like. I, I, you know, I didn't come up with that one. That was a Parkinsonism. The that local nobody thing. Local he really nobody. likes the local nobody thing. My nickname. My persona. Welcome back, folks. Episode 118. Uh, we're happy to have you back once again. Uh, joining us this week, uh, we have uh, Azita, Audrey, and Ella of Munson Williams Proctor Arts Institute. They are the resident artists uh, at the Institute at the moment, so that'll be a fun interview talking about uh, art. So what's that? Like, people, when you're the resident artist, you basically come over for a year to do your art at somebody's yeah. facilities? Well, Audrey uh, Audrey Taylor from Munson Williams, she is sort of the coordinator for this whole thing, right? And mm -hmm. then uh, Azita and Ella, who are the artists, they are... Uh, they're in for a, a year, I want to say, or mm -hmm. six, six months to a year, and they're doing... They'll, they'll explain all this better in the interview, because I recorded it a week and a half ago, so pardon me if I... <laughs> right. Break it, yeah. Uh, but they'll get into that in the interview. So they stay here, and they do their work here, and it's sort of paid for, and allows them oh, this nice. opportunity to work at, yeah, at the Pratt here, and learn with the teachers there, and um, it's really, really cool. Uh, a lot of fun. Matter of fact, Azita is the first person we've ever had on the show who's not from the United States. Oh. Like, she, she had that... Huh? Did you get a trophy? I did not have a uh, first non-American trophy. International club? An international yeah, club international cup. That's what I need. The Uticast International yes. Cup. Yeah. So, Azita, congratulations. You are now the Uticast Intercontinental Champion. So, intercontinental. Um, Heather, I, uh, I'm going to ask you how your weekend was, but let me guess. Did you climb on some rocks? We did. We went outdoors. We did. We brought some new people who never climbed before. We've been bringing out a lot of new people every week. I've noticed that. You're yeah. on, like, the kick. This would be your new your new next business, is okay. you start breaking people into climbing. That would be nice. I would love that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> we mm -hmm. took Kaz out, too, so he didn't, he, he I think he enjoyed it. You can call it the climbing cliff. It'll yeah. be good. And then 
See, oh, I like that. Yeah, the climbing cliff. I'm See, taking I'm, that. I'm, I'm going to put that in my brain. I'm good with stuff yeah. once in a while. Once in a while. Kev, how about you? How was your weekend, my man? I'm still in it because, as you know, I have Sundays and Mondays off, so this is like Sunday afternoon kind of for me. The weekend has been all right. Uh, recharging the batteries. Um, been getting some excellent sleep. Mm. Catching up on sleep sometimes. I know you're really old when you're like, man, I had an awesome weekend. I got some really good sleep. <laughs> True. Isn't it nice? Um, it's nice, isn't it? Yeah, I was, I've was. i been having trouble sleeping, and then I read about a thing, a tip to try on the internet, and it worked really well. They said, hey, sometimes if you're having a problem sleeping and getting good sleep, uh, flip around and go to bed the other way around. Put your head at where the foot of the bed would normally be, mm. and put your feet where the head normally goes. <laughs> and they say, like, for whatever reason, it just sort of, like, changes it up just enough that you fall right asleep. And I thought it was funny. And I read about it while I was, like, on my phone one night watching TV. I turned around and damned if I didn't fall asleep in 90 seconds. Okay. Like, I was just done, yeah. And I slept so hard. And so I did it for, like, two straight days. And I've been sleeping amazing. So <laughs> it's funny. Turn around in your beds, everybody. It's I'm funny. telling you, if you're having bad sleep, do it. It's funny you say that because this is going to be really weird. This isn't a weird neuroses about me. Uh, if it's the weekend... I sleep normal ways in the bed, like head on the blanket, laying back. But I do sleep upside on the other way around in the bed sometimes. I don't I'm know why. I'm going to try that because I, I haven't slept well in 17 months. You know what it is? The sun comes in at the foot of the bed. So if I lay on the if I lay on the, the other way around, well, sun wake you up. Well, nice sunlight in the morning. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Sunlight. Mm, very tricky. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So I'm going to talk about me for just a second. Hey, Kev, do you remember, what was that place I used to live before I lived here? Uh, your mom's house? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but where did I go after that? After my mom's house before I came back here? Mm, hard to say. <laughs> hard to say. Heather, do you know this? answer this question? No. Oh. Well. Sorry. <laughs> if you don't know, it's a little place called New York City. What was that? Oh. Take a shot. Hey. Salud. Cheers. Well, you've actually got a shot. I do actually well, have a shot. No, a real shot for myself. Water. You must be having a tough week. I am having a tough week. Here. Ah, salud. Mm. Oh, Duggins do. Oh, that's gross. Oh, that is not you good. You poured the Duggins, too? I did pour the Duggins. You really hate yourself right now. <laughs> oh, podcast's little helper. Ooh. Mm. Uh, let me tell you, you know, Heather, I don't know if you were on the show last time I did a uh, check-in with my depression, mm. but just a quick check-in today for all you folks who've been on the, listening to the show for a while. I talk about my depression, my depressive nature once in a while, uh, and so I won't get into the gritty details, but I'll, I'll share an experience with you. I was... Explaining this to Kevin earlier. Sometimes when you're a person who has like depressive feelings, sometimes yeah. you can sort of see them coming in, like the tide, mm-hmm. nice, nice slow roll. You know, like oh, depression's coming in. Mm, good time of the year for the depression to come rolling in, right? You know, it's a lot of that. And then sometimes it comes crashing in like a tsunami, big nasty ocean tsunami. And that was me this morning. I had a good, good. Uh, emotionally crippling depression attack this morning. Uh, couldn't pinpoint why. Can't exactly still pinpoint why, which I guess, if I could, that would solve some of my problems, would it not? You ever notice, like, I have anxiety, and people will go, so what caused it? Why are you feeling that way? Well, if I knew, I wouldn't feel that way. <laughs> well, here's the problem. I do know the answer. The answer is always money. 900,000% of the time, it's usually money. Because all... Because regardless of what people will tell you about, like, you need to have a positive outlook on life. You do have to have a positive outlook on life. But uh, it helps to have money and also things and possessions because those things also help you to be more positive sometimes when you can pay for things like bills and also power and also food. Um, so yeah, depression has been a little, little tricky to navigate today and that's why I'm glad that I'm here with my pals. 
to, to knock it off here and you guys and yell and scream about stuff. And I'm going to try my best to be calm. I'm going to try and stay away from any stories that will make me uh, overly agitated. Um, so instead of going right to the term limit story or going to any of the Trump or NFL <laughs> stuff, I actually want to talk about something that I feel like people are not really talking about right now. You know, we've mm-hmm. been... Um, We've been going on for the last few weeks about all the hurricanes, Hurricane Irma and, and Jose, but a lot of people are sort of not ignoring but overlooking the fact that Puerto Rico uh, was ravaged by Hurricane Maria, and as of right now, it is almost, like, it's in a horrible, horrible way. I don't know if you've been reading any of the stuff about this oh, at yeah. all. Yeah. I think they were, like, 100% of the, without power still. So. Yeah. They're saying months. Up to six the, months yeah. before power. And it's so hot there, and they have kids, and there's mm. no air conditioning, there's no way to keep their food cold. Mm. It's... Yeah. That's like six months of living off generators. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? That's a lot for any country. Generators that they don't they have. They don't have, yeah. yeah. And hurricane Maria made landfall in Puerto Rico as a Category 4 hurricane, and it ran all the way from corner to corner all across the entire island. So you imagine at its point when the eye ran all the way across, that's you're talking about a 55 to 60 mile wide tornado yeah. crossing the nation from corner to corner. And Puerto Rico's not as bad off as some of the islands are out there as far as, like, infrastructure and what they have, but they're still a tropical island, you know what I mean? And very susceptible to these things. And they've sort of been left out to dry. People say it looks apocalyptic out there, and it's super important that we remember that these, every single person, every single Mm -hmm. living soul on Puerto Rico is a U.S. citizen. These people are United States citizens. They, although, you know, they voted to become a state, they're not technically a state. These are still citizens of yeah, our country. Exactly. And this is no different than a disaster like this happening to, you know, Pennsylvania mm. or Ohio, really. And we, I, you know, we haven't seen much response. These people are going to need a lot of help. Yeah. yeah. And a lot of people are going to die. Yeah. And we need to try to throttle that number as much as we can. And I wish that we were seeing more... Um, more from the leadership that we're supposed yeah. to have in this mm-hmm. country. I would like <laughs> yeah. to see more tweets about, you know, the the folks of Puerto Rico and the United States citizens that are all going to die and dying right now yeah. with no power because this is a big, big problem. Yeah. General consensus is most of the reports I've been reading about this is that they're, the aid is just not coming yeah. and not coming fast no. enough, not coming yeah. at all. Um, so, and again, and I hate to say it, is, they can't if, if this was, I, 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 this is maybe a, a harsh judgment, if this was like Florida, we would be talking about it. Do you know what I mean like I, I, it's so? It's yeah. very easily overlooked because it's not. It's not connected. People forget. I bet if you yeah. asked, if you asked a random ten people, and this isn't even like, oh, how could you idiots not know this? But truly, like with all the facts that are out there in the world, you go ask ten random people and ask them about like Puerto Rico and if they, you know, about them being United States citizens. I'd be surprised if a lot of people. I bet there's a lot of people who are like, oh, wow, really? I didn't know that. Or like, oh, I guess I did kind of know that, but I don't think about it. People forget about it. They look at Puerto Rico, just another another island, another place, you know? You know, I really noticed that today, sitting in, in the classroom, because, you know, the kids, I you know, a lot of my kids are Spanish have heritage. Family yeah, family Rico. out there. There's a lot of Puerto Ricans yeah. in, in Utica. There's a lot of yeah. Puerto Rican folks, and, you yeah. know, immigrants, descendants, and all that. Uh, so, again, folks, you know, uh, if you have the means, do what you can. Go out there. Uh, donate if you can, you know. Uh, I always talk, <laughs> it's funny, uh, this is sort of an off, an outlier. Uh, I had a kid, I do these things in my classroom, I have to do these with the state, they're called PLPs. I'm going to take a shot in the dark, what you think a PLP is? Just any, I, you guys wouldn't know, I'm just I sort have of no idea. A personal learning plan. Sounds like a lot of fun, right? No. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, personal learning plan is something these, we have to do, and the state, and, you know, the state requires, all kids do it, right? Mm-hmm. And it's basically, you sit down, you ask these kids questions that are way beyond their comprehension in seventh grade. It's like... What are your long-term goals about 
college in your career, and they're like, I want to go home and play Destiny 2. Like, I do, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like, there's a certain, there's a certain disconnect. The state gives you those questions? Yeah, awesome. but uh, that's a bigger question. I don't want to get too far okay, into it. But gotcha. basically, the state gives you one set of forms for everyone from, like, 7th grade through 12th grade. So even though the questions are more aligned toward older kids who are yeah. in preparation for college, they still want these, like, younger kids who haven't really given a thought to college at all to talk about it, and it's always weird. Okay. Um, but during one of that, that's not the point. During the course of one of these questionings, uh, you have to ask about community service. Like, have you ever done community service outside the school or blah, 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 blah. And one of the kids said to me, why do we have to do community service, right? And he wasn't being, he wasn't being mean about it. He was genuinely curious. Like, why, do we, why is that part of the program? Do you know what I mean? And one of the things we do in the program is like food drives and I was like is this because you don't like doing like the walks we do a lot of walks as well and he's like I don't really like the walks I'm like I don't feel like anything happens I'm like yeah think about the food drives though I was like think about that like it doesn't seem like much to donate like two cans of corn a can of beans to somebody right it doesn't seem like it's doing much until you're the person who needs something to eat mm -hmm. right and it's the same kind of thing like if you give five dollars it doesn't seem like very much like I don't have much to give me to give five dollars Five dollars is still something to someone somewhere, right? Mm -hmm. So that's that's all. It's just my. Well, it's also. That's a good know, thing that they understand that, though. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, it's a good thing that they're asking the question yeah. that they're seeking yeah. out a deeper understanding. Yeah. I feel like if I were in charge of educating, you know, younger people like that and being in that position, that would be my favorite thing to see: is these kids seeking out a deeper understanding yeah. of of the whys or the world around them at large. You know, and it can manifest itself in so many different ways, but. And it's the point that people always make, and it sounds kind of hokey at this point, but like, you know, okay, it's just $5, but if everybody you knew gave $5, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Like, if everybody, if every single person who listened to this show gave $5, and we all gave $5, like, that's a pretty significant amount yeah. of money sure. that goes, and it's food, something. Food that feeds you know? a family for a week or something. I mean, think about what $500 means to you at, like, the grocery store. Mm -hmm. Just buying, like, you know, canned goods and stuff like that. You put it in the context of that, it's a lot of money. Yep. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, good stuff. Uh, prayers, thoughts, wishes out for the folks in Puerto Rico. All right, let's, uh, let's move to something a little more locally oriented. Um, this is a story that I kind of had a feeling we were going to talk about last week. I might as well just get into it. Uh, earlier this week, uh, on September 20th, the Utica Common Council uh, on Wednesday voted 5-4 to four to increase the term limits of the city's mayor, comptroller, common council president, and council members to 12 years. Uh, after listening to 18 people uh, go out and speak, uh, many of the council would go on to explain why they voted one way or the other. Uh, this is sort of a issue that's been getting a lot of, like, buzz on. Like, I feel like local Facebook is all over yeah. this, oh, this Lord, Trump story. Oh, people are, yeah. yeah. Um, I'm going to go, we can dig you further into this right now, but I guess I should say right off the bat, you know, we've had Mayor Paul Mary on the show a long time ago. It was like episode 17, mm -hmm. so like 101 episodes ago, right? I've met him many times outside of, and inside of him being the mayor, right? He's, mm -hmm. he's been around for a long time. I like sure. Mayor Paul Mary just fine. Great guy yeah. for the most part. I have no issue about the way he's run the city, uh, about the way things have been going. Not really that I can think of. However, I do think that extending the term limits is bullshit in pretty much any context, regardless of who the person is, why, what the reasoning is. The term limits seem to be there for a reason, and I do feel like the way it works is, yes, he's been here for eight years, he's done a great job, now it's next guy up, right? Like, I, I feel that's, that's sort of my initial thought on this. I don't know if you guys agree, disagree on that, but... I'm likely to, to get on one, so... Heather, right, do Heather, any? do you have thoughts? Because I don't want to trample all over you than, than have Sam move the show along because I've been the screaming The only thing I wanted minutes. to say about this that I had 
that I was upset about was the fact that the people had voted and their mm. decision was hurt. And now, and now they're like, okay, well, too bad. And the problem that leads to is that people say, I don't vote because my vote doesn't matter. Well, here's a, an example of people voting, hearing their voice, and then taking their votes and saying, well, it doesn't matter because this is what we're going to do anyway. So we're voting against this. And I think that is... Mm a little bit upsetting because we do want to encourage more people, especially in this time mm. period, to vote. Mm. And yes, that's my that's my Okay, before I let you go, can I can I throw this out here? I want to frame this wow. for you. He's, okay. he's I just want to frame this for you. You can cut me off sometimes. No, 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 no. So no, no I, I wanna get... I just wanna frame this up for you because I thought this was interesting. So I save it all Monday. I don't talk to anybody at all Monday. I'm all alone all day. I don't speak to anybody. We hit the microphone. Many of the uh, so many of the council members did actually explain why they went way there. So I'll give you two examples. This is one council. This is Councilman John uh, Jakin who voted for the law because he said, "Quote Jacone, I Jacone, is it Jacon? I don't know. How you I don't know. His last name. Uh, this was his. He said that he didn't see a difference between eight and twelve years. Here's the quote: At the end of the day, we all face the voters on election day, and they make our decision as to whether we're doing a good job. I could accomplish more for my district by working with the administration. That's his quote. Which, okay, fine. Uh, Councilman at large Ed uh, Bucciero, 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 Bucciero. Uh, he voted against it uh, because he feels that the people of the city should get to have their say on term limits, not the five people who voted to approve Absolutely. the local law. Kev, what do you say? Um, Ed Bucciero is a great guy. I know yeah. him. Um, so there's a lot of different things. So we we voted to take away term limits a long time ago. We yeah. did that for a reason. I think it's important, and I think nobody's really talking about it, but I think it's important to note that they only voted to extend it another four years. They're not completely throwing them away. So they can make a little bit of a point there, but, you know, Utica for, for decades and decades has had a reputation, mm -hmm. as any small city like this is going to have, where it's big enough to be a city but small enough where you still kind of know everybody. Um, like you said, you know, I know the mayor, I know a lot of these council people, know a lot of the different people involved and around the city. We've got this reputation for being like a backroom handshake deal type city. A handshake city. And, you know, that's okay and it's fine and good and it happens sometimes. But when you've already have that reputation for you to, to go out here and do something like this, it makes it look like you're trying to just like get over it and stay in the job and hold power. It look whether your intentions are as pure as the driven snow or whether you're the most corrupt thing that's walked since the tangerine dream that is the president. Mm. Um, I think no matter no matter what it is, it's going to look bad. Whether, you have, whether you're doing oh. the best of the best, and you, it looks bad to the people. Mm -hmm. And they come out a couple of days after that this vote happens, and they say now that they're going to make a motion to raise the salary of the mayor and the city comptroller. <laughs> yeah. Two days after, it's like, you can stay in. It's like, oh, well, I'm glad you're going to let us stay in because we're also, you know, okay. we're going we're gonna to raise our salary. And it's important to say, you know, it's not like he took over and is going to do it. We get to vote, and there's going to be a mayoral election, and if mm. people are upset, go out and vote because, you know, this is showing you this might make some people feel like their vote doesn't count, but now it's time to sort of counterbalance and show what the vote does. Um, we shouldn't – we put term limits in for mm. a reason. I grew up, and the mayor was the same person for 10 years, like twice in a row, and there's a reason that we did this, and so let's stick to it. I like Paul Meredith. He's a nice guy. I think he's done a good job. He's always been kind to us. He's always yes, been he helpful. He's done a lot of great things for the city. But it's okay to let somebody else get in there. And if you really care about continuing this mission with this city, then you will find a way to do it, even if you're not allowed to make 70 that you want to push up to 90 off the taxpayers of the city of Utica. And that's all it is. So go to the Common Council, talk to your people, represent your city, vote, and get involved. Do you know what, all right, go. Do you know what Paul Mary? No, do you know what Paul Mary could do? That was good. That was right. Good job. Do you know what Paul Mary could do that would make me want to vote for him for another term? Is veto this and let 
then vote on well, it. Well, that's what people say. You know what I mean? Like, it'd be amazing. It would be amazing. Like, that would be the one thing that I would go, okay. It'd be amazing yeah. if he does that. But I don't think he would do that. People ask him. If he does that, he'll get, he'll get reelected. Hmm. Or they should at least, yeah. you should have a break. If you want to run again, take four years off. That's all you want to do. Uh, just real, just quick, quick side note. We've had two of the common council members on the show in the past. Three, if you include the president, although his vote uh, isn't involved in this. Both people who've been on the show, Sam Klaus Motesta and our good friend, two-timer Joe Marino. Uh, I shouldn't call him two-timer Joe Marino. Two-time award winner Joe Marino. Uh, they both voted no against this. And mm-hmm. I know uh, from some personal uh, conversations I've had that President uh, Mike Mugliani also was not yeah. a fan. No, of he made his yeah. stuff yeah. clear. No, he, he yeah. said, although I don't get to cast a vote, he put an opinion out. Um, mm-hmm. I th- as somebody who pays attention to city politics to a pretty deep degree, uh, Mike Galimi is going to be a name in this city for a long oh, time. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. As well as, I mean, Joe Marino is mm-hmm. obviously young and up and coming. I think Mike Galimi is a couple years younger than him. But these are both going to be guys uh, you're going to see around. And, and Mike Galimi did a great job as a guy who I don't always agree with politically. Mm-hmm. There's mm-hmm. a lot of things where me and him don't see eye to eye politically, mm-hmm. but he does a very good and a very fair job. Mm-hmm. I know him and his family, and that is one of the nice things I do like about a place like mm-hmm. this is you get a chance to like know these people intimately so you can make a little yeah. bit more of an informed decision. Yeah. Well, not Claudia. You never no, get, certainly. You'll never get reason, to meet her. The reason is because Claudia does not answer to her constituents, care about this area. Oh, don't, why did you? Why? Because I'm curious. Oh, why what do you need? You're up? depressed, so you need a giggle? I, don't get me started. Oh, uh, Claudia. All right, let's... I'm going to tell you a funny story. Sure. About, about, uh, no, not on the show. Oh, not on the I'm air. I'm going to tell you a funny story about the name Tenny, and I've got some concerns. Mm. Um, Look, well, we it's not the only time I think we'll bring her up again. Oh, certainly. No, there's going to be plenty certainly. more time. So let's, let's, take a, let's take a break from all this. We do have, uh, I actually pushed the national stuff to the end this week, so I wouldn't get too heated up and patched all in the first segment. i got one more small thing in the mayor. Oh, oh, go ahead. Go. Yeah. Oh. Um, Rob Palmer, a great guy. He's going to be, if he goes for another four years into his term, you're talking about having a mayor in the 70s, and I think in, in mm-hmm. his 70s. And I think it's interesting mm-hmm. to note, and I think this is a big problem nationally. This mm-hmm. could be a full podcast segment if we talk sure. about it beforehand. Um, you'll notice the people voting against this, the people who sort of want to arrest control over the, the wheel of power, so to speak, is we, we need, they're all younger, yep. and we need yep. to maybe not have people in their 70s. Mm. No offense, old folks, you've done great stuff, you raised us well, all this, that, and the other thing, but we're moving into the fo- we're moving forward, we're moving into the future. People in their 70s can't be the people dictating mm. policy in this country anymore. They don't understand the world we live in. Also, I just want to throw this out there. I just don't. I'm sorry. Just, just want to throw this out there. I saw this today. I'd have to verify to make it sure, make sure it's true, but they are meeting. They're having a meeting for people to go to talk about the... When? Where? Friday at 11 a.m. when everyone's working. Oh, really? Interesting. Friday at 11 a.m. when everybody's working, they're going to have... Friday at 11 a.m. Where is this at? I would assume... I'd have to look oh. it up. I think it's Town Hall probably or City Hall probably. Wherever they Probably do these secret kind of... location at 11 o'clock. I'd have to look it up. It's certainly not sometime where I could go because I'm working. That's Much like I assume a lot of people would be. Hmm. Interesting. Hmm. Shocker. Anyhow, let's move on to this week's interview. Uh, it was a real, uh, it was a really fascinating, uh, it was really fascinating to do an interview with three different people. It's always tough to have three in the studio. Uh, and I really do think that if I had the time, I could have separately broken down interviews with uh, Azita, Audrey, and Ella, uh, and Ella, who are all fascinating and wonderful folks. Uh, Azita and Ella, you know as the artists in residence, and Audrey is the uh, director of communications at Munson Williams Proctor Art Institute. I think that's her title. If it's not, she says it correctly during the interview. So, sorry about that. Um, they're, a great, uh, they're a great conversation. Uh, we talked a lot about art and about uh, culture, and it's uh, we don't always get to talk about these subjects a lot in the show, so it was a nice little change of pace. We'll be back to the show in just a minute. 
Word Live. See, it doesn't feel any different now, does it? No, it doesn't. Okay, so before I even get into anything, I'm going to pull back the curtain. I like to pull back the curtain a little bit when I'm talking to people. Uh, when I was a young man, I was told by my teachers in school and by my mom that I was an excellent artist. I want you to know that. Excellent. Now, granted, the only two things I ever knew how to draw were professional wrestlers and Godzilla. <laughs> Those are the two things that I drew. So when I went back to look at my childhood drawings, it was just the same drawing over and over and over again. So I think I was lied to. Uh, <laughs> well, you've got your wrestling. I had lots of wrestling gear floating around the house. I, we have a weird wrestling it's thing. It's still a thing. It is still a thing. It's. Mm -hmm. This is an argument that I won't get into during the interview. I have a, my theory about professional wrestling is it's the closest thing we have to American Shakespeare. I'm not going to get into that okay. argument right now. I will move away from it and I will get into <laughs> the interview. Uh, folks, we have a very exciting interview this week. I have three folks from the Munson Williams Proctor Art Institute here to talk about the Artists in Residence <laughs> program. Uh, we have Audrey Taylor. Hello, Audrey. Hi. Uh, I have Azita. I'm going to screw this last name up. I'm so sorry. Don't worry. Uh, Murakani. Murakani. That wasn't so bad. Uh, it's a pleasure to have you here. And uh, Ella Weber. Did I say that right? Is it Weber? It's Weber, Weber yes. Okay, Weber. All right. Pleasure to have you ladies in the studio. Mm -hmm. um, and you guys are representing the Munson Williams uh, Artist in Residence program. Yeah, it's a new program. Mm -hmm. um, it started in 2013. We kind of rewrote it. And so this is the second year in this format where we have two artists. So basically what it is, is we do an international call for artists in two different disciplines. Mm -hmm. So this last year we called for artists working in print making, print media, and uh, drawing and painting. So out of um, about 100 applicants, we chose Ella and Azita, and they have arrived in August. And mm -hmm. so we offer them, basically, I don't know if you're familiar with artist residency programs in um, general. I am a little, I understand some of the concepts behind it, but right. you might want to, if you want to give our listeners a quick rundown of how it works. Um, so residency programs for, we'll just keep it to visual artists, <laughs> just sure. to <laughs> narrow it down a little bit. But there's hundreds across the country and thousands across the world and many variations. But the, the basic premise is to support artists um, financially and with time to create their work um, outside of a job and outside of perhaps other obligations and bills and things mm -hmm. like that. So our, um, a lot of times these can be two weeks or they could be a year or two years. Um, most of them are shorter. Ours is pretty unique in that we're taking advantage of the Arts Institute structure. We sure. have a museum um, with an, a beautiful museum. An underrated museum, mind you. I think people sometimes don't pay attention, especially, in, you know, I grew up in Utica. That, mm -hmm. that museum's been there for a long time. Yeah. I've, I've probably myself only been there about ten times in my life, and I sometimes forget how much really amazing art is in yeah, we have yeah. a really great collection. I mean, as you know, living in New York, there's huge museums. Um, museums. <laughs> <laughs> well, right, and then ones that take you all day to get through. And exactly. I, I really love the size of our collection mm -hmm. and the diversity from the um, Philip Johnson designed the, the um, Modernist Museum over to Fountain Elms, which has, you know, the period rooms, which, which is, like, so fun. Which, as a little kid, I did not appreciate or understand. I was like, well, who in this old house? And now as I get older, I'm like, oh, this is kind of nice. Like, yeah, yeah. So um, the Institute is really unique in that mm -hmm. it has the museum attached to a school of art. And then we have two programs in the School of Art, um, the Pratt MWP College Program, mm -hmm. which is, we're an extension campus of Pratt Institute in Brooklyn. Yes. So which is, you know, one of the best art schools in the country and world. And has a beautiful sculpture garden, which I 
when I lived in Brooklyn, yeah. I would sneak into Clinton Hill. I I, <laughs> I would sneak into <laughs> it so I could walk through so I could get to my house because it was an easy way mm-hmm. to cut through, and also it was pretty dope. So uh, <laughs> they didn't like it when I snuck through. So yeah. sorry, sorry, folks. <laughs> so we have that really great program that's just freshmen and sophomores, and then we have the School of Art, which has been going on since the '40s. And that's the classes that we offer to the community, and that's the stuff that I program. So I program um, the classes from 4 to 104, I like to say. Mm -hmm. And then we have the Artist in Residence program. So what they do is we give them a place to live. They have a beautiful studio space Mm -hmm. on campus. And when I say on campus, a lot of people think about just the museum, but we actually have over 30 buildings on our Mm -hmm. campus um, around State Street. Um, And then they get to eat in the cafeteria with the students. There you go. Um, but they also teach classes to the community. Oh, they wonderful. have classes that start next week, um, screen printing and drawing classes. And then also they serve as mentors because we own to our Pratt community because we only have freshmen and sophomores. They don't see artists, upperclassmen artists right. working. They don't see grad students working. And um, so they are kind of representing that transition between school and their professors, sure. for that matter. Now, let me ask you a question. This is something that's been brought up to me many times in the past, particularly mm-hmm. about the Pratt in Brooklyn and the Pratt in Utica. Mm-hmm. A lot of people I know who, who went to Pratt in Brooklyn and also went to both places seem to prefer the Utica location primarily because it tends to be a bit more hands-on with the professors. The student body's a little smaller. It's a little more intimate. Yeah. Have you, no, have you, yeah, has that been your no experience? No kidding. Yeah. Um, I, well, you know, I was not a student there. We do have sure. a lot of alumni working in the, um, mm. in the offices. But absolutely, I've heard, I've heard those anecdotes. Mm. Yeah. Um, Pratt in Brooklyn has, you know, several thousand yes. people Very there. Big. Our <laughs> campus, we were sending goods. So the, I think the partnership started in 2000 mm-hmm. or something like that. And we were sending such good students there anyway through a partnership with MVCC, art credits and things like that, that that drew Pratt Institute to take us on as a campus. And yeah, I've heard people there, you know, yeah. who said the gym is up here, it's not down there, you well, know. I used to assume It's people. 200 people. It's yeah. very intimate and very hands-on. Well, I thought people were just lying to me to make me feel better. It's like, no, the Utica one's nice, but I heard it so many times that I was like, hmm, maybe well, there's something a, to this. It's really focused, um, and it really is hands-on. Like, I also went through art school, um, you know, two different art schools, not Pratt, and um, was not nearly as hands-on as we sure. are with the sure. students. I don't know if I could have... Handled such attention. I have a couple questions for you, actually, Audrey. Uh, Sure. Are you, first off, I need to apologize to you personally about how poorly my email correspondence was with you when we tried to say. I'm not good. (laughs) I'm not good at email. I was Um, like this guy. It's trouble. I I know. You know what my problem is? I have about six email addresses. And when I'm, unless I'm at my work desk where I'm looking at my work email, I gotta be on my phone. Mm -hmm. And at the moment, I'm sort of anti phone. I'm trying to like hide from my phone at the moment because sure. it's overtaking my life. I think a little bit. I try uh, to do the same thing; it doesn't work. Uh, so I, I'm sorry that it took us this long to get. I appreciate it that. I appreciate uh, that. But a couple things I have for, uh, for your background. Okay. Now, are you initially from this area? No. Where are you from initially? Um, I'm from East Tennessee. East Tennessee, very mm-hmm, nice. Mm-hmm. And I was introduced to Utica through the Sculpture Space Residency. I was a resident there. Yeah. I was going to ask you about that. That is not connected with you guys. No. Okay. It's been around since the 70s. It's a sculpture-specific mm-hmm. residency. And I did a few residencies, which is why I really enjoy facilitating this one, because sure. I know how rewarding it can be. What brought you to Munson Williams? 
Um, I applied for a job. So I was um, when I when I, <laughs> <laughs> I was like needed a job. Sure. Um, when I was living in Brooklyn at mm-hmm. the time when I came up here as a resident, and um, while I was here, I met my now husband mm-hmm. who was also living here and working at Sculpture Space. Um, and then he moved down with me into to New York. Mm-hmm. And then when we were casting about to leave the city. It was a you know very typical getting pushed out of our commercial oh, yeah. um, building uh, live work situation. Happens a little more these days, it seems like. Yes. Yeah. Well, and we're like we're not going to renovate another space uh-huh. and give all of our money away. So um, I do joke that Utica is the closest we could afford to move by near New York City. Well, it's actually- but it's not. It's, I mean, maybe that's true. I don't. I it's mean, that's true. technically it technically is true. But when we were up here uh, on the residency, mm-hmm. we met so many great people. We yeah. felt like we had like the nuggets of a mm-hmm. good network up here. Whereas everywhere else, we were like, mm, I don't really know anybody. I've always thought about this with Utica as a guy who grew up in Utica and mm-hmm. left and came back, which is always a funny scenario to be in when you live somewhere for a long time. You leave because when mm-hmm. you leave, your first thought is like, that's it. I'm never coming back. I'm done. But bah. <laughs> And then I got to New York, and like all my same bullshit was still the same because I'm still full. Of, it's still me, still right? I'm still person. an idiot. So I'm like, uh, it wasn't the location; it was me. I'm the problem. <laughs> so, you know, I wasn't sad to come back. When you come back, you inevitably have to answer all those questions. Yes. Like, hey man, how, how you feel to be back? I'm like, I paid three times less for rent, so yeah. it's all right for the most <laughs> for most part. Well, I mean, for us, it wasn't yeah. coming. We it, we were just coming here. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, it wasn't even a coming back. We were like, okay, and we found a really great place. We lived a little bit north. And a place that we're able to afford, you know, to have um, my husband is a sculptor and also does custom design and fabrication. And he, um, so we're able to have shop space, I have studio space. Um, I have a sculpture background mm-hmm. also, obviously, I went to sculpture space. I was just going to ask you that. What, would, uh, what are your own art skills like? I was going to ask you are you, uh, are you, are you up there at the upper echelon of these sculptures? Obviously. <laughs> I do wasn't sure if you had like your own personal. Art <laughs> I do. As well. um, I would say that it is um, my practice isn't as productive as sure. it has been in the past. Mm-hmm. I've been really focusing on my work at Munson Williams. Sure. However, I am in a um, hopefully in a little group show at the other side coming up. Oh, very nice. Um, hopefully in later in the fall winter. Right around the corner. Right around the corner. <laughs> um, but yeah, so we, my husband and I, both moved up here with intentions to. You know, have a little more time to do our stuff. Sure. Now, let me ask you this, and I don't know if you're the only person directly involved in this. Maybe you can give me a little insight into it. What was the process like in terms of actually choosing the artist? I know we talked a little bit about mm-hmm. it early on, but what was the actual, like, is it you and a group of people? Is it, it is. Just, yeah. Um, we actually meet with, so we base the, the disciplines that we do mm-hmm. the call in on our disciplines that we offer at the school. Um, and so I reach out to the faculty and we say, oh, it would be really great to have printmaking. And so we get permission from the faculty and we call in those two areas. And then we make a committee mm. from those faculty in drawing and painting and printmaking. Mm. And so I go through the initial initial going through of sure. the thing. And we all make comments, look at the work. We do basically a work pass first where sure. we're just looking at work mm-hmm. and eliminating a fair amount. That's fair. And that then, sense, and then we go back through and we hone down to um, three or four finalists in each discipline that we interviewed via Skype, mm-hmm. um, all over the world, and um, and then we chose these two. Wonderful. 
<laughs> and we've been very happy with our choice, I well, should I'm, say. I'm glad to hear that. <laughs> Since they're sitting right next to me. Uh, speaking of which, it's a great segue. Audra, I'm going to put you on the back burner for just a moment mm-hmm. while I move on. Thank you, though. You mm-hmm. can enjoy your water and relax. Thank and you. See, it wasn't so bad, right? No, no. It's it was lovely. Easy. I'm um, sweating a little. <laughs> Azita, I, Azita, I'm going to move along to you here. Sure. Uh, now, again, if I start going too fast, don't feel bad correcting me or telling me to slow down. <laughs> okay. A couple things. Uh, number one, I don't know how long you've been in America. Like, how long have you been in the United States? Five years from 2012. 2012. August 2012, I moved to Boston. Okay, so you were, Boston was your first location. In- uh, yes. Okay. So Utica is the second place that oh. I'm living temporarily. <laughs> uh, so first off, I won't go any farther than this. I'm sorry that you came here during this turbulent political time in our country that oh not goodness. everyone represents. Well, uh, you know, I've been thinking maybe there's something wrong with us as Iranian people that wherever we go, there's a chaos about the politics. No. <laughs> it's, it's not you guys, believe me. It's, uh, we're going through an interesting time in our country oh right now. Lord. You know, and it's, it's funny, to be honest, I, I have an Italian last name. My, my last name is Famolaro, but mm-hmm. I'm... Syrian. I grew up, my, my grandparents were from Syria, and we grew up doing, like, Syrian stuff. And it's funny the difference I get from people if I lead with one or the other, right? If they're like, oh, you're an Italian guy, it's a little bit different than, like, you're a Syrian guy? Mm-hmm. And it makes me a little unsettled when people feel that way because, you know, I was born in America, so it's not like I have any real, I'm American. I just tell people now I'm from New York. They're like, where are you from? New York. Where are your parents from? New York. Yeah, but where are they originally from? New York. I don't know what you're looking for. <laughs> uh, but I guess what I'm curious is, so you've only been here five years. Your English is actually uh, is pretty good for only being here for five years. Thank you. <laughs> um, did you find it hard initially to come to the language? One of the things I've always heard is that English is very hard to pick up after a certain age, after like 12 or 13. Did you struggle with it initially? I think um, the only problem was that the classes that I went mm-hmm. in Iran, the English classes for three years, I assume, or four years, constantly during my undergrad, mm-hmm. um, uh, when I moved to the U.S. and when I started when I started my education, I figured out that it's just it was nothing. All my study, all the practice that I had in Iran, um, it didn't help me at all to get uh, all the material that the professors were talking during the uh, classes. Especially my first master was in art education, and it was more basically about education curriculum and how to design the lesson plan. Mm-hmm. So I had lots of difficulties for understanding, mm-hmm. and that uh, made me, uh, that gave me a lot of um, hard time and challenges, besides, of course, all the exposure to a new culture and yeah. new people and new system. and. I'm kind of curious about that, actually. Uh, I always ask this to people um, when they ever leave the United States to go visit someplace. But I'm curious, coming from uh, from Tehran here, yes. what was the biggest uh, cultural change that you noticed? Like the, the first thing you noticed that was really different between the cultures? Mm, I think the culture. It was about... Uh, well, I have to say that I moved to Boston, and mm-hmm. that was the first city that I lived for five years mm-hmm. and after especially after the election night I figured out that that's a bubble I cannot yes. say that that's what in the US so I'm yes. specifically talking about people in Boston sure. based on my own experience <laughs> and New York City and <laughs> uh, so I figured out that people are 
um, highly educated and um, uh, they are very active and uh, creative in different um, businesses and especially the MIT students, uh, oh, lots yeah. of my friends there and Harvard, which uh, similar to my society, to my people in Tehran, of course, they are also highly educated, but the main difference was about how much people were politically involved with the government. Mm. In Iran, people always talk about politics and the government and what's happening, but I figure out, oh my gosh, people maybe even not interested to get involved in, yeah. the, in a discussion, um, in a gathering uh, to talk about it. It's an interesting time for political discussion here because I do think that since the election of the president, uh, people have suddenly very much become interested in politics again. I think for a time, people sort of faded away a little bit. Now it's so mainstream everywhere. And I do think one of the reasons, especially in diverse communities, or divisive communities, I should say, it's a little bit of, it's almost taboo now to have a political conversation in public because you don't know who else is in the room, and people are much more apt to argue about it now than I've ever seen mm -hmm. in my True. lifetime as, yes. a, as a voter. I agree. Yeah. Uh, so let me move on to some art stuff. We'll get away from the politics stuff. Okay. Um, your description on your CV uh, talks a little bit about um, your, uh, your art in general uh, wants to show a sensitivity to the dynamics of vulnerability and violence. Uh, is that something you experienced and we wanted to get out, or what was your initial drive to find art in your life? I think uh, the first experience that I had in the U.S., as I just mentioned, yeah. it was my own exposure mm -hmm. to a new society and system, which made me feel so vulnerable, especially mm -hmm. yeah. when you are away from your family, that we're always supporting all um, all of the matters and issues sure. that you had in your life. Um, so that exposure, for sure, at the beginning was very challenging, but when I finished my first master and I started my MFA degree, um, uh, that caused me to think about vulnerability and mm -hmm. how sometimes it ends to violence, but at the same time, if you survive, make you stronger, mm -hmm. and you mm -hmm. learn, you learn a lot of new things. So I still you know, besides all the challenges that I face um, through these five years, I still appreciate uh, that I did that adventure to be here and to see new people. It doesn't matter what country, but just being exposed to something that out of your comfort zone is something that I appreciate done it. Are you still uh, in contact with your family in Iran? Yes, of yeah, course. Sure. Yes. That's good. That's good. Uh, <laughs> I'm just curious. I don't know how. You know, I don't know how easy it is to. Oh, these game. days it's just all the apps that you can <laughs> have the video and uh, like uh, free calls. It's sweet. Uh, so I looked. Through, <laughs> very good, that was good slang. Uh, <laughs> so uh, two of the uh, two of the major art installations that I looked at uh, on your on your on your website. Uh, were the uh, the lingerie drawings you did, the series of lingerie drawings, which were very fascinating. And this is all, what's your medium of choice? You said... All color pencil. All color pencil. It's very, very intricate. It's very, very Thank nice. Thank you. What was your initial reasoning for doing that whole series? Like, what was your inspiration for that series? Uh, the felt the lingerie drawing are based on my first impression from walking into Victoria's Secret oh, yeah. in the U.S. <laughs> so it was, a, it was an, a very interesting experience for me because I was exposed to a public place of mm. colorful luxury lingerie mm. and um, it was huge. Um, so I immediately 
thought about the difference between a lingerie store in the U.S. and mm. in Iran because mm. in Iran, it's more private sure. and usually men cannot walk in um, the store. And also, <laughs> it's, it's like a secret place. It's, it's weird. It's actually secret. It's secret <laughs> place. Exactly. What's weird about that is even as a young man, like I, my parents were divorced, so I didn't. I spent a lot of time with my mom. Sometimes I would get dragged into the underwear section. And even as a man now, it's a little... Un- I don't like to be in there because people think you're a creep. I'm like, I don't, I don't want to be in this. There's nothing here for me. But, <laughs> uh, but yeah, I can see how that's that's got to be almost an in- a really Im- intense culture shock to see that kind of... Yeah. It was. It was very interesting. And mm. I... Uh, well, of course, I was thinking about censorship and oppression uh, on females' body in some countries. But at the same time, I could see and feel the pressure on... Uh, female's body in Western countries mm. and culture. So, um, like the mannequins of Victoria's Secret and the quality, the poor quality. I'm, I'm just, uh, just as an example. I'm well, no, it's that. a good point, though, because I think a lot of times these places like this, these big chain stores that have, like, influence like this, they do sort of establish this unrealistic mentality of what, you know, the human body is supposed to look right. like. And that grains itself in the society that sees it all the time not just in stores but on television and movies and all over the place it's uh we put a lot of america puts a lot of thought on how we look we're very image conscious society not me which is good but as long as you (laughs) can still decide and not being labeled by how you look and what how your body looks so i have no problem with that uh but anyway so that was the start point to think about the paradox Mm. between public versus private and Um, so I started, well, at the beginning I had a couple of those beautiful lingeries in my studio mm. hidden, um, <laughs> because I didn't know what to do with that. <laughs> I just didn't know, I, but I was, it was like, oh my gosh. Um, but, um, after a while I started my uh, first drawing. So I, I started thinking of incorporating images mm. based on, um, journalism, photography, and iconography to talk about more hidden, disruptive narratives of um, inherited history of nations and beliefs. Mm -hmm. And by doing that, I really wanted the viewer to get closer to these drawings. Mm -hmm. And by looking at those shadowy images, uh, Mm -hmm. just thinking about the stories of people around the world. Can I ask you a little bit about the body casting? Sure, as well? of course. That seems very intimate to do as your own thing. Like, what was your? Well, why did you decide to do that type of art as well? Well, the beginning was just uh, thinking of how people in this world, uh, right now, taking others' life mm-hmm. uh, based on what they believe and mm-hmm. what others don't. Mm-hmm. And um, I purposely wanted to uh, expose my uh, body to people who I didn't know, um, and do the uh, body cast to see mm-hmm. how I feel for minutes uh, to stand out from what my culture strongly mm-hmm. believe and connect and I attach personally mm-hmm. because I grew up in that culture. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was a very intense, challenging experience for me. And then later on, I, uh, with making the positive out of the mold um, and having my own body in my hands and with the drawings of, again, the that the patterns based on the um, lingerie that you could mm-hmm. do lace but also images from different global violence and resources mm-hmm. and helped me to just have it mm-hmm. like a tattoo of memory and history on these bodies uh, I don't know if this is uh, is a sort of a tough question do you feel that being in America now for five years has it changed the way you looked 
at the culture where you came from? In of any? course. Yeah. How can I say yeah. no? Well, I'm just, I'm <laughs> I think yeah. even even let's say moving from Boston to Utica. Mm-hmm. That's why I always encourage everyone to please like one of the one of the things that I see a lot in the U.S. Maybe uh, in my people around me that they don't travel a lot and yeah. I think it's very important to see mm-hmm. different societies and cultures to have a better mm-hmm. understanding and to be a better listener yes and it also I don't think I think it's hard to uh, to understand the concept of empathy for other people unless you've actually been able to view what kind of world they come from yes. uh, I work in a, in a school system with a lot of kids who mm-hmm. are minority diversity kids who don't have much and what's important to keep in mind sometimes when they come in and they're struggling is you don't know what they took with them from home what they True. what their home life is like yeah all right i'm gonna put you on thank you i i was that too fast that i do okay it was great good all right, all right. <laughs> thank you right. i'm gonna move on for just a moment uh ella i know thank you for being so patient to wait toward the end here i apologize oh no no worries i have to say and i'm gonna slide the mic a little bit closer to you I went to look up your about page, and I really appreciate that you were willing to destroy your Tinder profile up on there. It's very, it's very strong. Uh, so I want to read this byline because I thought it was, I thought it was interesting. Your artist statement was, "I simultaneously celebrate and critique the fabricated happiness uh, pervasive in our society, while drawing relationships between the everyday mundane uh, consumerism, sexuality, and religion." That's a very encompassing like statement. Uh, what's like, what would you say, what would you say, do you feel like today's culture invests in what you do for your art stuff? You're printmaking, right? I was yeah. trained in printmaking. Print, yes. Printmaking. Okay. Yeah. So how, how do you feel like the current culture and the current, um, and the current world around you is affecting your art at the moment? Well, I always, um, say I'm very influenced by my environment and where mm-hmm. I grew up and where I live and the places that, um, yeah, my environment. So I've spent... A lot of time in the Midwest and mm-hmm. in kind of this like suburban culture land. Yes. Um, and s- <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, so I'm always I've always had like consumerism jobs, uh, retail jobs. Is it the worst? Yes. <laughs> it's the worst, isn't it? Oh my god. Yes. Um, um, so that's and I've always been fascinated with advertising. I mm. originally went to school for graphic design. Graphic design. Um, so that's kind of where this consumerist um, interest mm. comes in. Um, and then also just always thinking about identity in terms of sexuality. Um, Mm -hmm. and then I was raised in a very religious family. My dad was a pastor. Um, so always kind of thinking about, uh, that's interesting. (laughs) I, well, the only reason I bring it up and I don't, you don't need to get into your religious background. Right. So I've talked about my religion before many times, but I'm a loud mouth. Um, (laughs) I guess what I'm saying is like, I've known a lot of people who went to Catholic school, who grew up with religious families and it tends to go one of two ways. You either tend to stay in the in the culture, the tradition of it, depending on how tight the family circus is, or it tends to drive people farther away. I always think it was interesting that many of the people I, I grew up with who went to uh, Catholic school around here, Notre Dame Middle School, those people tend to be the ones who are now atheists, not the ones who went to public school. And I wonder for you, did you feel like growing up with religion was beneficial to your religion or kind of detrimental to it? Um, it's definitely been a journey, a journey. Yeah, <laughs> as, yeah, as yeah. cliche as that sounds. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's been really good for my art sure. specifically. Um, it's kind of this constant questioning mm-hmm. of why do we exist? Where are we going? What is this world? This is just, you know, like just mm-hmm. a kind of like a lot of asking questions. Yeah. Um, but it's, you know, I've been in and out. I would say I'm back in the faith now, but it's mm-hmm. definitely been, mm-hmm. uh, 
yeah, yeah. a lot of internal mm. questioning and thinking. And so you grew up in the suburbs of the Midwest. Yes. Is that Omaha, Nebraska, I think, is... Uh, so you only had Mr. Pibb, no Dr. Pepper, right? Is that what was out there? Oh, we actually have Dr. Pepper. Really? Yeah. I was told that only <laughs> Pibb in Nebraska was what oh, I was told. Bad info. Bad info from my friend from Nebraska. Thanks, Bill. <laughs> sure. uh, so, so you growing up in the suburbs of Nebraska. Let me ask, just real simply, how would you categorize the difference between growing up in the suburbs of the Midwest and the time you spent in what's, I guess, technically considered the suburbs of upstate New York? Do you notice a difference in the, uh, in the culture around you? Well, I've only been here like a couple, three weeks, I guess, oh, but sure. I will say there is more of like just going to the store, people mm-hmm. are less friendly. Um, and like, <laughs> but like, I wouldn't say it's Wait, maybe here or in the here. Oh, yeah. Here, yeah. Here. Oh, yeah. No, we're cynical. Just here. making sure. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm not saying it's a bad thing, but there is this like in this the Midwest, it's like, mm-hmm. They're constantly like, how are you doing? Are you doing good? They want to get in these conversations. Where, same in the South. And same, Yeah, I'm probably same in the South. So here's just a little bit less. Everyone's to themselves a bit more. Hmm. Um, yeah. And just the this, the actual landscape is different. There's less strip malls, less... Um, uh, there's more trees. <laughs> uh, I'll tell you, that was the thing I missed the most from New York. And I th- from New York City. And I think that you're, you're actually spot on. Um, in the times that I've been outside of New York State. And I've only been to so many places. I played in bands when I was growing up and we would take the van and we'd drive to different places around the country to do our shows, but really only got about as far as the Midwest, like uh, Minnesota, Chicago, like Ohio, uh, Cincinnati type places. And most people when you, first off, when you tell people you're from New York, they go, oh, from the city? And you mm-hmm. go, no, right. no. <laughs> and then after a while you just say, yes. You know right. what, it doesn't matter. Right. Uh, but most people, what I noticed were somewhat dubious of people from New York. They felt like we were out to take advantage of them. I think New Yorkers have this weird cynicism built into them because, you know, to a certain extent, New York is always going to be associated with New York City. And a lot of people from Utica either are from Syracuse or have been New York City transplants. There is a New York City-Syracuse connection. I do blame some of it on that a little bit. Okay, yeah, yeah. I'll say this. When I came back from, from New York City... I was way too cynical. Like, I'm cutting people off on the streets. They're like, why are you pulling... Why are you driving like this? I'm like, I gotta get into the lane. They're like, this is not Manhattan. You can slow down. It took me... It did, I did the it's same tough, thing. Like, that thing where you're ignoring people because mm. there's too many people to interact with. I had to turn my face back oh, on. Yeah. Right. In public. Where oh, I'd be like, huh, it's, it, it took me some time to mellow back out. Uh, so, printmaking was your initial... Artist, artistry field that you wanted to get into when you've gotten to art? Well, I actually, I initially went into graphic design, graphic design and right, then right. kind of found printmaking. I think of graphic design as like, like more of a, I hate to say, I'm, I'm doing you better as a college thing, right? I'm going to go to college and do graphic design, <laughs> yes. right? But so there is like a, a job. <laughs> there is a huge artistic background to it as well, obviously. Yeah, and I kind of think of printmaking mm. as like the old school graphic design, mm. like more analog yeah what they did without before computers. <laughs> did you have any particular artist or any particular moment where you first noticed this was something that was interesting to you? Like, was there any, like, particular painting or advertisement or something you saw that interested you? Not really. Mm. Um, I think it's more just this... This I was really into um, advertising and graphic mm. design, and but I had this talent to draw. And so um, I just started getting into drawing. I had a really... I really struggled with what to draw. Um, Because especially with graphic design, it was like you were just doing what the client Mm. wanted. Um, So I kind of had this talent, but I really struggled with like, okay, well, what do I make art about and why? Wrestling Godzilla. Uh, Does it work for me? I don't... Well, yeah. And actually, the first thing I started doing was I collect a lot of like action figures and toys. And um, so I just started, I started drawing Mm. those. Um, 
But it was more just like I kind of happened to get into art based on a drawing talent. Yeah. And that's it. I mean, that's how it, that's, you know, I, I think that's, it, as simple as that sounds, that tends to be the way it goes. You know, mm. I, art is an interesting thing too. And I think, of, I grew up as a musician, but I, I tend to lump all creative mm -hmm. fields into the same kind of idea. I think when you, in terms of art, you are either born with something inside of you or not. And you can go, if you don't have it in you, you can go be taught. You can go to a teacher, a professor. You can take courses. And you can learn to a certain level. But if there's not that innate spark of creativity or uh, emotion or desire inside of you that fires up that creativity, you're never really going to be able to get to that point. I thought about that a lot with musicians, and I think it stands the same way for artists. I don't know if you agree with me on that. But, oh, totally, yeah. yeah. Um, and I think it's important, for, you know, for people who have that calling to not, to not hide from it. Mm -hmm. What bothers me about working in public schools is how much we as an industry have sort of uh, stifled the creativity to force kids into this common core landscape we live in. We don't have time for art anymore. We don't have time for music. We only have time for science and math and this and this and this and only those things because we're so far behind and it's a scary time to be a creative i think sometimes right. yeah but it's also an important time to be creative as well <laughs> yeah what um what would you like to be doing with your art in the next let's say five years if you could look forward into the future oh man uh <laughs> yeah yeah, uh, I don't know, actually. I mean, like, I've always relied on these, like, jobs, these minimum sure. wage jobs to, like, really fuel mm -hmm. my art. Um, and so um, now I'm taking nine months off and not having one of those jobs. Mm -hmm. um, and so this will be a nice little, um, I don't know what I'm going to do necessarily. But um, I'm glad you brought that up, actually, because I was very curious. I was reading through your thing, and it says you worked at a particular grocery store, and you gave the motto, and I looked it up. So you worked at a Hy-Vee. Yeah. Yes, I knew it. Ha-ha, <laughs> research. <laughs> I, don't think they, I don't think they exist out here. They don't. They I, don't. Had to use, I had to use Wikipedia. Okay, you know? yeah, yeah. Because the, the, the internet's never wrong. I don't know if you knew that. Right. Anything on Wikipedia <laughs> exactly. is right all the time. All right. I think it's time we can bring everyone back in for our lightning round questions. It wasn't too bad for you folks, right? No, it's been lovely. <laughs> all right, so... <laughs> Uh, I want to thank you guys so much for coming in. And just a real quick reminder for everybody, uh, your next two upcoming events that we have on here, uh, Thursday, December 7th, is your Artist in Residence Open Studios, and that's from 3 to 6 p.m. at Tracy Street Studios on 601 Tracy Street. Mm -hmm. uh, and then again, from March 2nd through the 30th of next year, uh, the Artist in Residence exhibition will be taking place uh, at the Munson Williams uh, Art Gallery, and that is on Friday, March 2nd, through the rest of that month. Yes, and there'll be an opening that night. It's also a first Friday, so it'll be kind of a party going on, too. Wonderful. And is there a, where's the website if people want to get in contact and get more information about it? Is it just MPW? Yeah, yeah. Okay. M yeah the, um, the general website. All right, I will pull that up. So. There you are. I'll have to link it afterwards. I'm bad with the Internet. Mm -hmm. uh, I want to thank you guys for coming in. Are you willing to sit through a couple more minutes of lightning round questions? Yes. All right. So, uh, these are the same six or so questions we've asked everybody who's been on the show oh. for the last 60 to 70 episodes. Wow. Uh, and in this case, I'm going to do it in serpentine fashion. I'm going to start with you, and then the next question I'll start with you, and we'll go back and forth. Okay. So, Audrey, I'm going to start with you. When you wake up in the morning, how do you take your coffee? With cream, no sugar. Cream, no sugar. Uh, Ella, same question for you when you wake up. How's your coffee? Just black. Black. <laughs> Azita, how about you? Honey and cream. Honey and Honey. cream. Ooh. Ooh, all right. Uh, you've only been in the U.S. for about five years. You may not even have had one yet, but what was your first automobile? Oh, 
Toyota RAV4. Oh, you had a RAV4? Yeah. Those were very cool. I remember being, like, when I was first getting into cars, I was like, yes, that's what I want. <laughs> okay. Uh, Ella, same question for you. Uh, first automobile. Honda Fit. Honda Fit, is that what you got now? Yeah. It's relatively new. I feel like that's not that old. Uh, Audrey, what about you? First automobile. I had a 89 Jeep mm-hmm. Grand Cherokee with gold wheels. The boxy ones. Those yes. Are, those, oh, yeah. That's when the, the gold Jeep, waffle wheels. Those were the best. Yeah. I don't I'm It was terrible. It never worked. For a guy who's 31, <laughs> I sometimes think that my spirit animal is like 75 because I like old stuff like yeah, yeah, Steely yeah. Dan and boxy cars and just like uh, just nonsense. Um all right. I'm going to stay with you for this one. Uh you may or may not have taken your 89 Jeep Cherokee to see it, but what was your first <laughs> live music experience or concert? Uh a significant one would have been it was um Weezer, Ooh, and no doubt when they were no together. doubt they were they were together. I like how people are sort of embarrassed to say they like no doubt. Now they're like I saw no doubt. No, but they were, they were fabulous in ninety five uh, or whatever that was. Tragic Kingdom will always be that a classic album. That was the tour. That was the dope. tour. Spiderwebs is a great song. I stand behind it to this day. Uh, <laughs> same question for you. First live music event. First, um, Death Cab for Cutie. Mm. And- Chicago. Mm-hmm. Translanticism was a big one for me. <laughs> I had that one. Played it a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, Azita, how about you? First live music experience? Uh, I think it was an Iranian classic uh, mm. music concert. That's very cool. Uh, yeah, by uh, Mohammad Rizal Shajarian. Mm. He's a big deal in Iran. That's cool. No, I like it. Are you uh, are you interested in all like American music at all? Or do you still listen to mostly Iranian stuff? Mm-hmm. Oh, um, I'm not interested in pop music, in Iranian pop music, mm-hmm. and also I- even in English. I don't like a lot of pop music. Um, not a lot of great pop music out there. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there's it's, not it's, much. It's, you know? it's, uh... <laughs> well, that's all right. Uh, well, let me uh, let me give you this question then. Uh, if you can, give me one book, album movie or television show you are currently reading, listening to, or okay. watching? Mm, okay. Just give me a second. It's a tough one, I know. No, there are lots of things. There's, I know there's so many. <laughs> I know what you're watching right now. Oh, no. That's so embarrassing. Well, recently, recently I'm so overwhelmed by all the stuff that I have to do. Yeah. And I started embarrassing the... I, it's been years I it's resist not to not watch Friends, but uh, oh, recently no. I started watching <laughs> Friends. I'm, I'm sorry. Listen, listen, I'm 31, so Friends was like a defining television show for me growing up. I know, up. Like, I know. I'm... It was the same in Iran, but 10 years ago. And then <laughs> I, from then I said, no, it's not. I, it doesn't even make me laugh. But these days, it's just the only it's thing. Ma- but... Um, um, I think Louis C.K. Oh, uh, shows is oh, also I what him. I like. What's fascinating about him is his show. He's a for a guy who's a comedian. He's so smart, and the shows sometimes aren't even funny, but it really makes They're you beautiful. beautifully shot and beautifully the, written. The, amazing stuff. Yeah, They're like progressively darker. I feel like. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Definitely. <laughs> the uh, last season. Ella, same question for you. Give me one book, album, movie, or show you are currently reading, listening to, or watching. Um, well, I also watch Louis C.K. Um, I'm reading Patti Smith's Just Kids. Oh, nice. I've never read that before, so. Mm, pretty good. Yeah, pretty it's good. so far so good. All right. Uh, Audrey, how about you? Book, album, movie, or show you are currently reading, listening to, or watching? Um, I 
been enjoying Difficult People on Hulu. Really? I've not yet gave it a shot. I'm a little gun-shy to start it. It's a lot of pop culture references mm. at a rapid fire, so it Let's takes see. maybe a few episodes to adjust to that. Mm. But now I think it's really funny. And then I, um, specifically today, um, I heard that a member of this band that I used to listen to a whole lot passed away. So I've been listening oh, nonstop this morning. Um, it's called Those Darlings. They're a, hmm. a Tennessee-based hmm. um, girl band that were super awesome. I'm oh, sorry to hear that. that I know. Yeah. Cancer. Yeah, that was as easy as it <laughs> So um, that's what I've been listening to this morning and thinking about life. Um, and finally, uh, give me if you could have dinner with any person, oh, no. living or dead, who is not your family, because <laughs> everyone's going to say that, who would it be and why? I'm just gonna say the first person that popped into my head. Awesome. Um, which is crazy, but I was a big <laughs> fan of. Um, I don't know if you remember Bloom County, the comic strip. I'm familiar with the comic strip. Yeah. yeah. Um, Berkeley Brief. I really interesting. Too. My comic of choice growing up was Calvin and Hobbes. I would love I feel like, to have been. I Bill feel like those. Those are my two. I yeah. mean, I liked Bloom County a little bit more. It was weird. It was weirder. Yeah. I mean, they're more political, sure. overtly, mm -hmm. um, and so I've just always really, I buy all the books and everything. See, as a young man, Calvin and Hobbes actually helped me sort of, like, get through, like, my parents getting divorced, mm -hmm. and, like, it actually was a pretty, it was a pretty deep comic for something about a kid and his fake tiger. Sure, there sure. It was a much deeper comic yes, than, yes, like, yes. Yeah, like, Peanuts or something like that. Yeah. Not that I'm knocking on Peanuts <laughs> or anything. Well, what I love, I would read the, it, that comic ended, and then he recently restarted online, but... I would read through, I just had the books, and I'd read through it over and over. Mm -hmm. um, over the years, like into adulthood, it was like a way to yeah, just yeah. calm down. I, and I had, you know, years worth of books. But I, it was like uh, the political environment in yeah. the 80s via cartoons. And so I'd read it and I'd get some stuff. Farside? I'd read it. Um, yeah. I, Farside too? Yeah. yeah. So that was and then I'd remember. read it a few years later and I'd get more stuff. Mm -hmm. And then I read it now and I'm like, things are the same. Never, nothing. It's all a big cycle. <laughs> We're all on a giant algorithm. It's all up and down. Yeah. Uh, same question for you, uh, Ella. One, if it's you could hard. have dinner with any person. That is person, a hard question. Yeah. Living or dead, who's not your family? Uh, well, the first person that popped in my mind is kind of random, but Robin O'Neill. She's an artist. Hmm. Um, she lives in L.A. based out of Omaha. She also has a podcast that I oh. listen to every Thursday. It's called Me Reading Stuff. Hmm. And she just sits in her bathroom and reads poetry and talks about herself. Are you a podcast person? Kind of. Not the, like... Do you watch Broad City? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. I just, Abby from Broad I just City. watched it last night. She just started a podcast, an art appreciation podcast, actually. Mm -hmm. A piece her. of work. It's pretty good. I've started yeah, listening. Yeah. I, I, oh, I'll have to watch yeah, that. Yeah, it's pretty good. Listen to that. Uh, Azita, same question for you. If you could have dinner with anybody, living or dead, who is not your family, who would it be and why? Hmm. <laughs> Stop. <laughs> because at the beginning I thought that it should be alive and it should be possible but now it's like it could be anybody anybody it's, it's a tough question do you want to come back to it you want me to give you a minute on it yeah okay that's really nice. uh, and I'll come back around uh, uh, I'll give you one more thing uh, besides uh, art and uh, the community that you are indeed passionate about Oh man, this is these are tough questions. The lightning round questions are always <laughs> tough. Deep questions. Ask your soul. Um, <laughs> okay, what's the question again? Uh, give me something out. else you're passionate about besides art. Besides art, mm -hmm. um, 
I mean, I do love music a lot. Mm. I'm really into like more electronic, instrumental music. Nice, like ambient style, like Borges Canada type thing. Uh, sometimes ambient, sometimes more like house and upbeat. And nice. but yeah. Do you play at all? I don't play. I go to a lot of concerts, sure. but um, sure. I don't. Mm. I, I tried really hard to get into like the the electronic. Mm-hmm. I'm a musician by trade. But, okay. Um, something about the synthesizers and like the electronic stuff doesn't. I'm not as good at it. There's something. I grew up like playing saxophone, so. So unless, did I actually. Yeah, yeah. I did too. See, yeah. saxophone, saxophone people. I'm telling you. Uh, something about <laughs> something about an instrument that has a warmth to it that I really enjoy. Like when you control that sort of warm tone, which is a really nuanced mm-hmm. like thing to think about in terms of like the sound having a temperature. Uh, but something about like the the electronic stuff loses that warmth to me. It's very cold and distant sometimes. That being said, I love the new LCD Sound System album, which is all electronic stuff, so I'm going to shut up. Uh, Audrey, one more thing besides art and the community that you are passionate about. Um, Well, one of the reasons that we moved up here uh, out of the city was um, closeness to nature, Mm. hiking, Mm -hmm. doing stuff near water. One of the joys I talk about about living here is we're really not that far away from almost anything. You want to go to a beach, you want to go to the, mm-hmm. you want to go to the mountains, you want to go to the woods, you want to go mm-hmm. to the city. It's all pretty equidistant from here. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of options for things you can do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that mm-hmm. stuff, gardening. When mm-hmm. I, have to, I mean, I'm pretty exhausted mm-hmm. all the time, but I do what I can. <laughs> Azita, do you want another minute to think about who you'd like to have dinner with? Oh, so I have two people pop in my mind. Mm-hmm. One of them is Zizek, and the other one is Gabriel Garcia Marquez. Really? Oh, oh my God. The author, right? Yeah. Oh, we'll talk about that afterwards. Yeah. That, that's a great, <laughs> a great choice. Uh, and oh, give me man. one more thing besides art that you are passionate about. I don't know. It's, it's dancing. Dancing? Mm-hmm. Yes. Did you grow up dancing? Um, I took some classes when I was younger, but unfortunately it was not legal in, the, in Iran. Yeah. yeah. So I went to some underground dance. And, <laughs> and now at the age of 30, I'm going to ballet classes. and uh, But I feel good, you know. I'm dancing. So <laughs> that's uh, good. Ladies, it was a real pleasure to have you on today. I want to thank you guys for taking the time to come out and visit us. Again, uh, go to Munson Williams uh, Proctor Art Institute. Uh, go look it up M-W-P-A-I on Google. MWPAI.com. That's right. org. See, just... I'm going to type the link in. Go put in Munson Williams Proctor Art Institute and Google. It'll show up. I promise. Uh, Guys, thank you for taking the time. It was a real pleasure to talk to you, folks. Uh, Folks, we'll be back to the show in just a moment. Once again, uh, Azita, uh, Ella, and Audrey. Uh, you guys weren't there to listen to the interview. I did have a moment where I was like, Azita, I want to let you know that this is not the America that I want you to think of when you... <laughs> She's only been here for like five years. She's like, I was like, listen, I just want you to know it, was a, it wasn't always like this. No. It, was, it was much different before before you came in. Um, so, uh, you guys ready for some history lessons? I'd actually like to kind of move... They're not great history lessons this week, to be totally honest. I'm not, I can't believe it. I'm not in love with them. Shot. I'm not in love with them. So, we'll go, we'll go as, as soon as we can here. On this day, uh, September 20... What is it? So, today? 28th? 25th. I don't know. 25th. September 25th. Uh, 
Someday William, a long time ago. Someday a long time ago, William Faulkner was born. Uh, another one of those authors mm, who... Sound in the Fury. Yeah, Sound in the Fury. Another one of those authors who... All these books I hear about, but I never really read a William Faulkner book. It's like one of those things I, I need to get around to doing, I suppose, mm. at one point. You're a book guy. You read any Faulkner? Not any Faulkner, no. He's a little too... Maybe if I was from the South, but there's authors who move to the front of the line mm. over him in a lot of ways just because mm. I don't have that like deep identification with like Southern heritage and mm. all that kind of thing. Uh, one of the inter- I found two interesting things about Faulkner I thought were fascinating, though. Uh, one, uh, in The Sound of the Fury, the opening monologue of like the book is told through the interior monologue of the internal monologue of the character. Uh, and in his next book, As I Lie Dying, he used 59 different interior monologues. And he was one of the first authors to really use this sort of internal monologue method mm-hmm. to build character creation. So that's that where I became aware of him is in like an American yeah. literature class learning about him introducing that and shout out to all the metalheads out there. That's where the name of the band As I Lay, As I Lay Dying comes from mm. is a Faulkner novel. Mm. Hot Water Music is a Charles Bukowski novel. That's also so true. there you go. Bands named after authors' works. If you're listening, know. chances are you don't listen to Hot Water Music, maybe at all, or not enough. So do it. Mm, Hot Water the Music. band is called Hot Water Music. It's a weird name. Check it out. It's good stuff. Good band. Uh, interesting. One more interesting thing about Faulkner. Uh, he wasn't initially successful in terms of making a lot of money from his novels. So he supplemented his income by writing stories for magazines and also working as a screenwriter. He actually wrote two critically acclaimed films in his lifetime, which both star Humphrey Bogart. One called To Have and Have Not, and one called The Big Sleep. So, William Faulkner doing screenwriting. So, there you go. William Faulkner. Little William Faulkner story for you today. All right. On this day in 1974, uh, University of California Irving scientists Frank Rowland and uh, Mario Molina uh, warned that, quote, continued use of aerosol cans will cause ozone depletion, leading to a rise in skin cancer and a rise in global warming concerns. Uh, It took three years for them to prove this, despite the fact that Big Aerosol was calling this all science fiction. (laughs) It's all bad news, is what Big Aerosol said in 74. I like what some people are saying about climate change. (laughs) It's funny the way it all comes around in cycles, isn't it? Uh, It wasn't until 1995 that uh, Melina... And uh, Roland won the Nobel Prize for Chemistry for their work in discovering the damage to the ozone layer of big aerosol. Big aerosol didn't like it, though. You know, it's it's an interesting case study in how quickly we can affect a change when people start paying attention. Because you talk about, you know, aerosol and you talk about the CFCs that used to, you know, the hole in the ozone layer. When they slapped those restrictions on that very, very hard, they reversed it better than their best case scenario ever could have been. Yeah. That hole in the mm-hmm. ozone layer is doing very well now. And it just goes to show when we clamp down on hard regulations of these people destroying the planet that we can't actually fix these things as long as we catch them. So let's catch that's, them and yeah, acknowledge that's climate change. Yeah, let's fix them and It's happening. Hmm. <laughs> interesting. Interesting time. Interesting times to be alive. Hmm. You know what I'm saying? Hmm. <laughs> uh, on, on this day in 1960, on this day, 20, uh, September 26, 1960, it was the first ever televised presidential debate between John F. Kennedy and, of course, Vice President Richard Nixon. Uh, you know, the vice pre- like the presidential debates are so, like, ubiquitous now. Like, everyone, it's sort of a thing that you, it goes on all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, after this first one in 1960, it didn't actually become a regular thing until 1976. Uh, because LBJ in 1964 and Nixon in 1968 both said, nah, I'm not doing this. <laughs> Can um, you imagine now if someone said that? Well, it's funny because... Yeah, like, they did. Like, a lot of people didn't want to debate this year. Yeah. A lot of people wouldn't debate unless under certain circumstances and conditions. Almost all of them. 
Except for Bernie, he'll debate anybody. Hey, Bernie, he'll debate. Bernie will debate a soup can. <laughs> and I mean, literally, uh, to his detriment sometimes, but Bernie will debate anybody. I've seen the soup! Did you I see? put the soup in the bag and brought it to the movie theater with me and ate it in the theater. And I slurped I it down. Sorry. If I'm not mistaken, I think tonight might be the night on the Monday night now that we're doing the show. Uh, Bernie Sanders and some other Democrat I've never heard of are going to debate Lindsey Graham and Chuck Grassley about the oh, horrible, horrible, <laughs> horrible, like caricature murder bill that they've <laughs> proposed to kill everybody uh, and kill the demon known as Obamacare. Uh, you know, it's and he's going to debate him publicly. And I think that's actually going on right now, if I'm not mistaken. I'm glad you brought that up because in a little bit we are going to talk briefly about the NFL uh, versus Trump thing that's going on. But I think it's important to know that this whole NFL Trump thing is really just a cover because yeah, they're that, <laughs> to, yeah. for them to not talk about the fact they're not going to get enough people to vote for this. There's exactly. a lot of things. It's a cover for a lot of things. Yeah. A lot of stuff going on. Um, but let's move on for just a minute. We'll get through the rest of this history uh, lessons. 1969 on this day, the last album by the Beatles was released. Do you guys know what album that was? The yes. last Beatles oh, album. Yeah. What was it? Abbey Road. Ah, very good. I was going to say that. Yeah, mm. hell yeah. This, well, there's a debate between Beatles fans about that because even though... Uh, let It Be. We didn't Let It Be because Let It Be was released afterwards, but Abbey Road was actually recorded afterwards, which is kind of interesting. I only bring this up because a few days ago, you guys will appreciate this. Um, I like to play music in the classroom when the kids are working. Like something that's not super obtrusive, right? Like low-key... Mostly like old timey rock and roll music, like The Who or something. So I put up the. <laughs> These kids must hate you. I know they're like. You ever get shoved in a locker? It's cool. Nah, nah, <laughs> kids are small. Uh, no, but it's funny because I put on the Beatles for them, and what a lot of times I'll do is I'll actually try and find like old live videos and put them on like the queue so the, the videos will play in the background. Because a lot of times the kids will ask about it, and can uh, so I played a bunch of Beatles songs. And a couple of the kids had some thoughts about it. You guys want to guess what they thought about the Beatles? I bet they weren't into it. I bet they were in. But I bet like one or two kids were like, "Oh wait, this is really good." Underwhelmed was the most part. Oh. <laughs> for the most part, they were generally you know well, you know it's another big thing too. Not even that, but like the sound technology has come so far that not even just that the songs and the music are different, but the sound quality to a kid who's heard nothing but high fidelity, yeah. full lossless audio music MP3s their whole life, it probably sounds like horrible. It probably yeah. sounds like a, like yeah. a Snapchat video, <laughs> like just awful and terrible. You should play Midnight Marauders by Tribe Called Quest for That's your class next time. You should start playing Tribe for the kids. I've played Daft Punk. I played Random Access Memories in the background. Oh, That's pretty good. Mm-hmm. Uh, Guardians of the Gar- Guardians of the Galaxy soundtrack is always good. That yeah. works out. Um, you know what it is? They, the problem is they all want like rap music. They're like, yo, put on like DNA by Kendrick. I'm like, yo, this is a middle school. So <laughs> no. I mean, it's better, you know, than it's, it's better listening to Kendrick than like Lil Uzi Vert or like Yachty <laughs> or somebody who's really just all the way out there. It's Some Travis Scott. You're exposing them to go good music, so it's good. I don't know. You know, it's funny. Like my nephew is into Pink Floyd, mm-hmm. and I was on the phone. How old is your nephew? He is nine. I feel like context is important. Yeah, nine, eight, mm-hmm. nine. He's he's a musician though too. Like he plays guitar and he plays mm-hmm. cello and stuff. And I asked yeah, we're him, sending him that guitar. When's he we getting are. that guitar? Uh, middle of October. Nice. Middle of October he'll be getting it. My, when my mom goes out to visit. Yeah, it was very nice of you. By my sister's very pleased that you. I like I nice said, I told you. Kevin so. gave my nephew one of his old guitars. Oh, he, yeah, his his little nephew has expressed an interest in music for a long time, and he plays mm-hmm. like a like basically a toy guitar right mm-hmm. now, shaped like a shark. But he's got a teacher, and the teacher's like, you know, he's he's pretty good. You might want to like get, get him a guitar. Okay. So he was. They were asking, you know, do we have any guitars laying around? And I have an old Squire Telecaster. It's really nice, really sharp looking. And I'm not using it. You know what I mean? I'm using. So I've got sweet. things at a much higher level that I use when I pick up a guitar. 
So I figured I'd give it to him, and his sister wanted to pay me, and I told her she only has to pay me if he quits. <laughs> if he quits playing guitar, then she has to pay me for it or return the guitar. But as long as he mm-hmm. keeps playing, I'd be happy to give up a $200 squire to some kid. It's good. Put the pressure on him to learn. And, yeah. uh, and he's good. He's a... Uh... Son of a Marshall Fullstack, too. That would <laughs> Just... be amazing, wouldn't it? Uh, so yeah, so uh, Beatles, the kids were unwell, but... No, what were you saying, though? Pink Floyd? Oh, Pink Floyd. What was interesting likes... about it is I kind of like asked him, I was like, why does he like Pink Floyd? Because I was like, who presented him to Pink Floyd? Because my sister listens to show tunes, my brother-in-law listens to Depeche Mode. So I don't know which one of them is the Pink I feel like Floyd. that's one of the most underrated questions when somebody tells you, like, why? why? Why do you like this? And I asked him, and he didn't really have an answer. He just was like, well, I like the Beatles, and on Spotify, they have, like, a Pink Related. Floyd link to the yeah. and I was like, And it's funny that that's how, I guess, people find music nowadays. Yeah. In the, it's true. You know, yeah. I guess that's the we'll way it is. Because of a playlist. Yeah, good. We're going to the Clash at like 11. He's going to be so cool. Can I tell you, I jumped the gun so hard on him. because bet sis- you did. My sister's He's like... five years old, you're just screaming about like bad brains. No, my sister... Like Fugazi. My, my sister's like, he likes Pink Floyd, so I'm going to get it. And he, he's got a vinyl record player now. So I was like, oh, I'll get him a Pink Floyd vinyl. But I got him metal because it's my favorite Pink Floyd album. He's not going to get metal. What? That's like not even a good... You'd, pink- metal. You'd be better off giving him metal like Slayer. <laughs> I know. Metal Pink Floyd well, cause, album. Cause, all right, because Metal by Pink Floyd has a song called Fearless, which y'all should go listen to right now. It's like the best Pink Floyd song. And at the end of it... Everybody knows. It's good. It has Liverpool stuff at the end of it. So I'm trying to subversively get him into Liverpool as well Isn't as... is his pink dad Floyd. a Liverpool fan? It's, I'm working We're on two angles. Multiple angles. Multiple angles of Liverpool fandom. All right, and last but not least, uh, this one's out Wait, of... Wait, still history? Let's talk about the kid again. <laughs> <laughs> uh, last but not least, uh, just out, it's out of time frame, but I wanted to save it for the end. On this day in 1964, the Warren Commission, after investigating the assassination of JFK, came out and said that there was one lone gunman, Lee Harvey Oswald. Happy birthday to our good friend, GFOP Steve Anderson. Do you have any thoughts, Sam? How many gunmen do you think there were? I think the uh, I think it depends on how many levels of the government were there. It depends on how many people were. Uh, neither here nor there. Happy birthday, Steve! Happy <laughs> birthday to my good friend Steve, who doesn't like talking about the JFK conspiracy at all. He never likes talking about it. Um, I do have a couple news stories for you guys. Let me ask Ooh. you, Kev. You, I know you've used the Uber in Utica before. Have you used Uber in Utica yet? Heather? No, I've never. We used it when we were in Portland, but we didn't. Did you like your experience with it yeah, for the most part? It was fine. Mm. Mm-hmm. Uber seems to be like a big topic of conversation lately. It's been pretty. It's been pretty successful here. I don't know what the numbers are, but it seems like people use it for the most part. Sure too. Yeah. Yeah. You know. Uh, however, uh, there's an interesting story in London right now. London is banning Uber from its streets, claiming the company is not fit and proper with its compliance and regulations. I think this is kind of (laughs) interesting. I think it's interesting. Because really, like, one of the things... so many issues. (laughs) Well, it's so funny to me because, like, one of the things about, like, I always think about New York City, right? Take a shot. Uh, I don't have any booze this time. (laughs) Um, I'll get you some more of that Duggan's do. No, 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 that's fine. That is fine. But, But in New York, it made sense for there to, like, be another... like taxi company right Mm -hmm. but for a place where there's not another taxi company like where there's like the taxi companies there serve the public it is kind of weird if uber doesn't have to follow the same rules and regulations as them i kind of understand it for new york city where the new york city metro transit is already kind of a mess with the regulations they have it's kind of outrageous but like if uber doesn't have to follow the regulations like say ace cab does that's a bonus for them do you know what I mean? So it's interesting. I wonder how they're going to like ban it and people can still get on their phones and they're not going to know people are Uber. Well, here's what it basically is. Uh, like They announced that they would not be renewing Uber's license. So like the city of oh, London okay. just said that their license expires on September 30th. We're not renewing it. Um, 
which is <laughs> which is kind of wild. Seems like kind of short notice too, doesn't it? Like right, by done. end of the month, we're just done mm-hmm. here. Uh, Uber's going to challenge it, uh, and they're going to try and be able to continue operating in the city while they do it. I genuinely think you're going to see the next 20, 30 years um, all sorts of different things like this. Not necessarily about driving or ride sharing, anything like that, but about new versions of technology, new ways to do yeah. things, meshing with the old way, yeah. Yeah. and crashing them together until you get the regulations and the laws right, and you figure out what the people and the populace want, you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. I think we're going to continue to see this, because that's exactly what it is, because at the end of the day, Uber, you know, say what you will about them as a company, which, you know, spoiler alert, they're awful, and, like, oh, some yeah. bad people yes, up there do. higher up, but, sure. like, so you're doing something completely differently, and I understand why the taxi guys are so mad about it. Mm. Makes a lot of sense. If I was a taxi guy, I'd be mad as hell too. But you're just well, you got to change with the it's time. Changing. You well, got to change. Well, uh, it's you've got to change or you've got to die. But a lot of these taxi guys, you're telling them you've got to die, and that's yeah. just the way it is. Mm-hmm. But like that's the way it works sometimes. So it's going to be interesting to watch these battles play out as we figure out how to be a more and more technologically integrated society in the next, you know, ten, twenty, thirty. Uh, speaking of technical integration, uh, we are moving into the era of Grubhub and Fresh Direct. You guys ever use any of those kind of things? Probably not Grubhub around here, but not here. Yeah. I've used Grubhub in New York to great success. For what's for pickup for food? Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, Hannaford has a has had it for a while in New York. Oh, really? Yeah. Where you could order food online and they'll bring it right out to your car. That's pretty year they've had it. Well, in New York, yeah. they had Fresh Direct. New York City was very popular, which is basically you order groceries and they deliver your groceries for mm-hmm. you. To your house. I want that. Walmart. <laughs> Go ahead. No, well, it's interesting. You want that. Walmart wants to take it a step farther. Walmart wants to send people into your house to actually stock your fridge nah. while you're no not home. No, no, no. No way. Have you ever look it? I'm not oh, I'm not trying to cast the spurs and let anybody while out here working hard for a paycheck trying to get by in a, in a system where we're you know debt slaves to the 1%. But still, have you ever seen some of the folks working on a Walmart? Yeah, I don't want them <laughs> Who in are my you into my house? With my kids. You know how many underwear drawers getting rifled through if you've got the Walmart people coming uh, into your home when nobody's around? Like that's just I don't also, want to know the layout of my home. Who's insuring that? Well, let me lay the What insurance company is going to pay? For these $11 an hour people coming into private homes, driving around on the company dime. Let me lay it out for no you chance. here. I'm going to lay it out for you. So the world's largest retailer announced Friday that it is testing a delivery program in Silicon Valley that will allow customers no. to use smart home technology to repeatedly open, to remotely open the door for delivery workers and watch a live stream of the delivery by linking their phones with home security cameras. What no. is this? No. What the cameras is no. this? No. I, I don't mind the food drop-off thing. I can handle that. That's great. But the fact to have someone Drop it house. off the door and come in like, oh, you can watch it via a remote camera. Like, not for nothing. Human civilization's been around for <laughs> millennia without cameras uh, in their caves, homes, shacks. I don't understand. Long houses, all this. Like, when I got to sit here and log in and watch some guy in my house, I'm sorry. I'm busy at work. I can't watch this guy put my spaghetti sauce where it goes. I mean, nothing I'm buying spaghetti sauce in a jar. I'm not a savage. Move that over to the left in there. That doesn't go there. No, you can't. This is horrible. Where did you read this? This is from the Los Angeles Times. Is it in a real newspaper? (laughs) Fake news, LA Times. Uh, This move actually comes as Walmart and Amazon have been sort of like racing to find the next most convenient technology. Because uh, actually, Amazon announced earlier this week that they want to do home security, where which you can allow customers to view feeds of your house to see like when they deliver packages, right? So if you know when people are delivering packages, you know when someone drops something off, 
that makes a little more sense to. Mm. I don't think it's necessary of tracking numbers. Hey, you, have. you don't have cameras at your house yet? Let's get them. Let's now get them. Now we're going to be able to map everything your house all the time. And Heather will be the first one in line. I will, I know. Put more cameras in my house. <laughs> Give me more AI I have three robots. Of them, if anyone ever comes in, I can oh. see you in every part of the house. Bro, I'm breaking in your house next week. I'm coming. <laughs> All right, guys. Some meathead stuff. Uh, meatheads. <laughs> speaking of meatheads. Speaking of meatheads, we're going to talk about something that I generally don't like talking about on the show, but uh, we're going to have to talk about it saying that's the NFL and its war with Donald Trump in the weirdest, really the weirdest story of the weekend probably is Donald Trump goes to war with sports. A weird weekend. Just so we can cover you know up what's did, going on right now. Do you know what I did yesterday on Sunday? Oh, I treated myself. I spent the day. I really, I indulged myself. I just let myself have a day. I remove. You know, sometimes you have like a cheat day. Yeah. This is my cheat day. I spent about seven hours yesterday, intermittently throughout the day, just stirring the pot with people in Facebook comment threads. Yeah, I saw it. I it was, was hilarious. Oh my god, I was worth, just out there, just worth churning the butter. I, I never, ever let myself get involved, but I knew it. I was ready. Like, Saturday night, I'm like, oh, there's going to be so much. Because I knew everybody was going to kneel down because it's the right thing to do. The yeah. protest is justified. You're not disrespecting the troops right. by doing it. The president's a clown. So I knew everybody was going to do the right thing. Mm-hmm. Everybody knew that was going to happen. And I knew that it was going to be a zoo on <laughs> Facebook. And I really, I dove right in and I let myself swim in this shit for I wish hours. I saw it. And I had a blast. You, I had a lot of fun. It's no, I'm on a Facebook cleanse right now. It doesn't go with smart. Facebook is a sewer. Um, I'm on a cleanse. You know, I did see, I, I've seen a lot of the Facebook jargon about this. And the general, okay, I think the biggest issue about the kneeling thing that needs to be discussed right off the bat is what the kneeling is about. Right? That seems to be the bigger just, concern now. Is like people think that this, I'm going to kneel because if you don't, it's disrespecting the military or like the people who, like, li- the original idea of the kneeling was to stand up against like police brutality and injustice, mm-hmm. right? So what's interesting about it is how quickly the narrative gets shifted for what the kneeling is about and who's actually offended. It yeah. doesn't make any sense to me. And like we've said before, I'm just going to say it again, get it right out of the way. We live. In America, and the fact that we live here allows us the right to protest yeah, and peacefully. It's a silent protest is peaceful. There's nothing wrong. That's with that. the most hypocritical trash, um, man. You thought I had takes on the other thing. It's the most hypocritical trash because these people are like, oh, well, it's disrespectful to the military. The military fights to give you the right to protest. There's nothing more American than protesting. Mm-hmm. Look at the Boston Tea Party. Look at how this country started. You stand up for your injustices. People want to make it an anti-Trump thing. Colin Kaepernick started kneeling when when Barack Obama was the president. Yeah. So that's right at the window. And Trump antagonized it because he doesn't like to see young people of color who are millionaires making a stand. Mm-hmm. It stick drives him and it drives his base nuts. They tell him to stick to sports. They tell mm-hmm. him this and that. But you also notice when they have protests where a couple people get violent or act crazy, you know, in Ferguson, Missouri, all these other places, and St. Louis still going on for like 10 days now. Yeah. Uh, when people do this, they're like, oh, you know, why can't you thugs just protest peacefully? And we know what that means when they say yes, that. Yes, we do. Like, okay. So now it's a peaceful protest and not doing anything, not hurting anybody. And like, oh, well, not like that either. (laughs) (laughs) These folks seem really eager to police how young black folks can protest about the things that are important to them. And it's because they're hypocrites. And there's just once you really dig, that's why I was doing it all day yesterday, because once you really dig in and you can logically back these people into a corner and you know how to counter everything that's going to get thrown, at the end of the day, they have to admit what they're really mad about. Mm -hmm. And there's a little bit of justice in that shot in the crowd, for sure. Let me throw this up. Let me ask you this question. I guess it's hard to frame it. How would you handle this situation if you were, like, an athlete, right? Like, 
Assuming that you had not been kneeling beforehand, right? The president kneeling comes the out. Kneeling the goddamn 50-yard line. Kneeling the, right? Eh. Don't you feel like the fact that he even came out and said something? He was asking. He was asking yeah. for this kind of response. Of course. Response. He right. wants this because his base eats it up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I can't tell you how many low-information idiots from rural areas I saw on Facebook just... Yeah. Just going nuts, being like, this is so disrespectful to the military and the people who there died. Are video and then I noticed all the people I know in the military are like, no, 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 this is good. No, this is they're they're doing it, too. And mm-hmm. the thing is, they're even showing videos of people fighting at the games, though. Like, yeah. And that's just awful. And can I tell you, what's funny, what's funny about this is, in my conspiracy theory brain, right, part of me thinks this. Okay, Donald Trump probably loves football, right? He probably knows mm-hmm. Roger Goodell. He comes out, makes this stand, says, "Any you know, these guys are all sons of bitches if they kneel down, and, you know, anyone who sons kneels... Sons of bitches, you hoe. Like, oh, go ahead. I, I know, Sorry. it's wild, wild, isn't it? Sons of bitches. Great, great job, great job. You got it to NBA, too, go ahead. Oh, that's, well, that's funnier to me, but that's neither here nor there. Um, but, you know, to him to come out and say this, like, and then he's like, for all these players who kneel down, they should be fired or suspended, which is someone in government telling... Private companies, they should fire employees. Actually illegal. Actually illegal. It's actually illegal. But here's the thing, right? So he says, well, you know, if you didn't watch, this would be the thing. It was the highest watched NFL Sunday in seven years, which makes me think that Goodell and Trump planned this because the NFL needed that sweet, sweet uh, TV revenue because they've been going down for the last three years in terms Wouldn't of revenue. Necessarily be wrong. Deep conspiracy theory that Trump I loves like the that NFL theory, and that Would this not is all necessarily be wrong. I'm, I'm throwing it in there, right? Yeah. I think it's it's I'm you know saying. it's one of those things. I, some of the people I had the most fun with yesterday were the people who were talking about oh the flag code says you have to stand and like you actually oh, dig through the flag code. I can't. All things are in there. You saw that big thread. I can't. People are talking about oh man. I'm so glad you brought up flag code because today we are going to close out with a little bit of flag code discussion here. Um, so one of the things I've noticed is you see a lot of people talking about like how you should or shouldn't present the flag and kneel before the flag and all that kind of thing and that it's against like codes right to to not stand for the flag right whatever. So I found a list of a couple things, uh, some ways that we disrespect the flag based on flag code every day. So I'm going to throw these out there for you guys and see if you've ever done any of these, okay? Uh, number one, you ever had, like, um, a pla- uh, any clothing that has an American flag on it? Yeah. Any sort of clothing? I've been. Oh, well, flag code. You're in oh. violation of flag code. That is... What happened? Illegal. A flag should never be used as a wearing apparel, bedding, or drapery. It should never be festooned. Drawn back, nor up in folds, and always allowed to fall free. What happens if you get caught? I don't know. Nothing. <laughs> Nothing just, happens. Just, the, they, the NFL disrespects the flag. You should always display the flag upright and flying free. It should never be held horizontally around the ground. Yes, that's right. Every time they cover the whole field with the flag with the people yep. holding it, that's, that's right. against United States flag code. <laughs> yeah. Uh, also, any sort of product like flag plates or napkins, 4th of July. Oh, man. Up. Zip. Against flag the code. United States flag code. To use it in advertisements or in promotions against the United States flag code. Mm-hmm. And also, any athletes, you ever watch the 4th of July, you see like a uniform they wear? Yeah. Like they got the, oh, zip, flag code. So, I really feel like if you're going to go... So with, there goes that argument yeah. for you bombs. If you're going to hit the flag code thing, just be consistent. That's all we ask. If you're going to harp on the flag code, that's all. I have three things I want to get to. I'm going to do them quickly in order about no, this. Fine. Let's do it. Um, number one, people talk about this. All these people who are against it, they talk about like it's time-honored tradition. Like People aren't standing. 
Do you know why the national anthem is tele? Do you number one? Do you know how long they've been televising the national anthem for the NFL? And do you know why they do it? Does uh, anybody know? Yes, I do. Okay, tell me. I'd like to know. So they started doing it in 2006. They started televising the national anthem ceremony in 2006 because the NFL was paid by the United States Army mm-hmm. to drum up patriotism and nationalism to try to get the recruiting numbers up. True story. Oh. That's not a conspiracy. That's not nothing. That you can look that up. You can look up the payments. It was a news story in 2006. That's readily available on Google. Um, also, did you see what Trump tweeted on, like, late Sunday and on Monday? Oh, the response to this? I was looking for it. I didn't see oh it Oh, my God. So he, he went on one of his, you know, like, Wait, early in the, you know, early in the morning when he's on the shitter and tweeting, like, nobody, <laughs> watching, and, and nobody can friends. control him because he's in there by himself, tan. so he gets to actually tweet. <laughs> he said that he was super proud of all the people protesting by linking arms because those guys are okay, but kneeling's bad. Linking arms, he took his support for him. He said the people kneeling were... <laughs> we're, we're against it. So he's into the people linking arms for protests. Oh, he, he, the... he found a way to make the protests mm. make them look yeah. like they were pro him. Um, and the very last thing I want to say, if if anybody never takes me more seriously on this podcast than they ever do now, um, I don't expect anybody to go read weird geopolitical books from the Russian 90s authors, but yeah. a Wikipedia search will do you good enough. Go look up The Foundation of Geopolitics by Alexander Dugan, who is mm. a Russian political writer. Just read the Wikipedia page. That's enough. He wrote the strategy for Russia to develop over the next couple decades and to get back to global dominance, and it reads like a history book from when Mm. it was written. And the main thing they talk about with the United States is using the things they can do to sow unrest, disagreement, and division using um, racial animosity and using different things like that to try to divide from within using the assets that they have in technology, espionage, and, you know, the internet going forward. This is a book that was written in, like, the late 90s, and it's the playbook for how Russia should come to re-dominate the world. And when you go back and you look at it, and the Wikipedia's got a great breakdown, it's genuinely chilling. Mm. I can't really de-hyperbolize that enough. Go look at the Wikipedia page. Foundation of Geopolitics, Alexander Dugan. That's it. My napkin's sweaty. All the stuff I wrote on it is running. That's all I have. What hour ago... Tremendous backlash against the NFL and its players for disrespect of our country. Hashtag stand for our anthem. Thanks, Prez. But don't ever get too mad at the people and keep fighting the good fight. No, I don't think Mm. he'll ever get what he's planning. Nah, well. Folks, thank you for joining us again. Episode 118. It has been a real pleasure. You can follow Heather on Twitter at HeatherWise1. You can follow Kevin at underscore Kevin Sullivan. Almost anybody can follow me. Almost anybody. Heather can't follow me. I unblocked her for ten minutes. For last ten week. minutes, I heard. I she heard. was having, she was talking with the Smiths, and she was talking with Mellow Kitty mm-hmm. and all the friends out there on Twitter. I'd see what she said, so mm-hmm. I blocked her for ten minutes alone. Everybody else, follow Kevin Don't underscore follow Kevin, Kevin Sullivan. Don't follow SF Doom. Just take my follows and put them on Uticast at Uticast. We are also on Instagram, Facebook, SoundCloud. Uh, MaidenUtica.com Go to UticaCast.com for this and all previous episodes Sayonara Humanoids Woodstock Lives Keep it tight I have no other stuff Stick I need to start gramming again I know I gotta get in the gram We gotta start gramming again I know know. That's it Alright You wanna hit the button again? I guess so You like hitting the button Hit the the stop button Uh, It's not a stop button Get involved in local politics Voice your thing Take your lunch break at 11 o'clock that Friday We'll have the date on the Twitter I'll hit the button Here you go (laughs) Thank you.